This is LBC from Global. Leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. Steve here. Over the next hour, I'm going to bring you the highlights from my early breakfast show this week. Don't forget, I'm with you every weekday morning from four until seven and on the weekends from five till seven. And here's some of what caught my attention this week. I'm curious over the Kim Kardashian heist, as we're now calling it, because she can tell you anything. And we know that she uh, she loves publicity. We know that, you know, things can be made. There's no CCTV in this place. You know, it's supposed to be luxury apartments. By, by, by French standards, that could mean anything. A room with a small padlock on it, a little chub lock or something. But, uh, anyway, I would have thought, you know, it would have been easier to make sure that she had some sort of security. If you've got, like, £10 million worth of diamonds and, uh, and jewellery, you'd have really good security. If it's all hers, I couldn't care less. Makes no difference. Presumably, it's insured, but I'm assuming... And I don't want to step out of turn here because it happened in another country and, frankly, it doesn't come under our jurisdiction at all. But if she didn't make ample provision to keep those jewels secure, the insurance company's not going to pay out. Why would they pay out? You know, you're supposed to look after... You had, what, £10 million worth of jewellery? Where was it? Oh, it was in my bag on, on, the, on, the, on the side. What? Not in a safe or anything? No? Well, we're not paying out then, are we? More fool you. Because then you start becoming suspicious and the Miss Marple inside me not at this precise moment, starts sort of going, you know, is this, is this a publicity? We know that, that Kanye isn't particularly good with money. We know he's not particularly good with money. But, uh, but what, what use are these diamonds? When you won't be able to fence them because they're, they're well known. They are accepted bits of jewellery. They're, you know, they're sort of... And also one of them, she was flashing off, wasn't she, on social media a short while ago. But I always think, you know, if you're stupid enough to flash your wealth about then somebody's clever enough to take it off you. So all you've got to do in Paris is dress up as a policeman, a gendarme, because I know the French, and, um, and, and then you sort of break in and you knock on the door and the little concierge, oh, oui, uh, we need to come in. And so they go in, held him up at gunpoint. He was marched to her apartment where he just let them in. They've obviously given him the key. I mean, to be honest with you, it's a typical little French man. He'll be sitting there. He, he won't know what's hit him. She didn't know what hit her either. She was tied up and they gagged her. Thank God for that. I mean, that was the only saving grace in the whole thing, that at least she wasn't speaking. And they put her in the marble bath. They were very keen to say she was put in a marble bath, as opposed to the usual sort of chronically bad baths that we all have. She had a marble bath, proving that she's so rich. Well, there you go. If you're rich enough and you've got all this, uh, this jewellery and diamonds and everything else, it's your problem. Got sod all to do with me. I couldn't care less what happens to. You know, to be honest with you, why don't you do what a lot of very rich people do? They have copies made of their jewellery, so they wear the fakes because you never you never get insurance. What would her insurance be for actually going out with this amount of jewellery? It would be astronomical. You know, you would have to make sure that you didn't you didn't actually flaunt your jewellery, and the insurance companies would be saying to you, "So you were flashing this three million dollar ring on social media." Well, more fool you. More fool you. What a stupid thing to do. It is interesting because the the Daily Mail have said, what is the truth behind the Kim heist? I mean, it seems odd. She's stayed in this place before. All of a sudden, over the last couple of days, she started flashing this ring in photographs. And that's apparently part of £10 million worth of jewellery. Is it all hers? Is it somebody else's who loaned it to her for British... uh, Sorry, for British... For Paris Fashion Week. 
Because if it is, then there's normally riders saying there's got to be a security map. You're not going to give somebody millions of pounds worth of jewellery to wear with no security. And it appears that in this flat, there is no security. There's a poor old concierge who sits out there, who at gunpoint was marched to her rooms. I mean, what, what he could have said would have been easier is, well, she's not in, and sort of pushed a panic button or something. I mean, are they not equipped for this? I mean, are they completely inept over there? Surely this place would be equipped with... I mean, I'm expecting, because I've seen the James Bond films, that, you know, you push a button and immediate metal shutters come down over the doors and the, the robbers can't get out anywhere. They're caught. You know, you do it here. We have fire doors in this building. In the event of a fire, all the doors that are held open by magnets close. So they contain the fire in, in sections. And I'm assuming you could do exactly the same in this sort of super-duper so-called block of flats, which is hidden behind a door. And, uh, and then you've got some bloke walking along the side of her car with a big umbrella open to stop people taking pictures. This woman thrives on publicity. That's what she does. She'll be giving interviews very shortly. You wait. It'll only take a matter of about a day before she realises she's got to do interviews. That's what they do. They're, they're people from a reality show in America. She's got no discernible talent at all. She can't sing. She can't dance. She can't do anything at all. But she's made a lot of money through being on a reality show and building up this persona of, of whatever else it's supposed to be. You know, the trouble is, America doesn't have any royalty. It had Nancy Reagan, but she's, she's passed on, thank the Lord. Uh, they don't have any royalty. The Kennedys used to be sort of the nearest thing to royalty, and now they've got the Kardashians. So it just goes to prove just how bad and desperate things must be. So what they found now, they found all these experts to turn up on all the television programmes and all the radio programmes. You know, a dual heist expert, a security expert. I've lost track of how many so-called experts there are on the television. People sort of say, well, of course, you know, she should have had a, a team of people around. Not one person who wasn't there at that particular time. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Now it's emerged that uh, Kim Kardashian's bodyguard, who apparently had a company for 19 years, Pascal Duvier, he's just filed for bankruptcy. 930,000 euros. Just under a million in euros he's, he's in for. There he is. He's apparently, he's a bodyguard. Not much bloody use at it, is he, really? Because the time she needed him, he wasn't there. He was off in a nightclub. Oh, you just stay at home, dear. It'll be fine. And um, what are you going to do with the jewellery? Just leave it in the bedroom. OK, that's fine. Ten million pounds worth of jewels. He goes off and then she gets robbed. I mean, what is the likelihood of that happening in real life? But this was real life. People came in and they managed to sort of get past the concierge. And they get past him with a gun. They force him in there. They tie her up, stick her in the bath... Stick her in the bath? I mean, I don't quite understand. If you've got a gun to her head, what are you sticking her in the bath for? There's five of them, and there's her. I mean, just kick her in the arse, and she'll get in there by herself. But uh, it's very interesting. They say here, uh, million-to-one CCTV footage could have captured the first image of the Gems heist gang. A camera in a nearby hair salon is said to have filmed them in a mirror. So, the, so there's no cameras on this property at all. There's no, so, in other words, there's no CCTV. Kim Kardashian, I mean, whether you like the old bag or not, she's still famous. She's in an, an apartment and it's got no CCTV. Who on earth advised her to stay in that place? I mean, dear God in heaven, even every London hotel has got CCTV in all the corridors. They've got nothing. It, a hair salon over the road has got CCTV and might have captured them in a mirror. And that's it. Hilarious, isn't it? Don't ever stay in Paris. It's dangerous. OK, it's really, really dangerous. Don't ever go anywhere near Pascal Duvier. 
Because he doesn't know what the bloody hell he's doing, does he? We just know that he's, he's, he's bankrupt. He's got no money at all. And uh, now they're having to get lookalikes for Kim Kardashian. I mean, how many women do you know want two pillows shoved down their trousers to make their bum look big? I mean, come on. You know, so we're, we're looking for lookalikes. Uh, yeah, OK, you're great. Bum's too small. Sorry about that. Uh, could, could, could you get it bigger by the weekend? Give you a job then as a lookalike. Fantastic. Going out there as sort of as a decoy, as it were. That's just, like, ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But then, you know, having having heard from her husband, who's as thick as a brick, that he's going to find these people, and Duvier's going to find them. I wonder who finds them first. <laughs> I wonder who's going to squeal first. I wonder who's going to... Because at the moment, they have no leads on these people at all. Not one lead... But mind you, the French police are a bit dim. So there's no leads, they've got nothing at all, and they've decided... That, um, that there's no CCTV. Nothing at all. For a woman who lives in the media spotlight, no CCTV. I've been in hotels. I mean, even at home, we've got 16 cameras. 16 cameras. This is for Twickenham. 16 cameras. We cover everything. Every corridor, every outdoor exit, everything. And it's recorded, and it's day and night recording. You know, it's as simple as that. You can see people quite clearly, and it records onto a hard drive. And so that stays there for a month, and then it'll go back to the beginning and start all over again. So it's, it's, it can be traced immediately. More than on one occasion, the police have asked us for uh, for a little bit of little bit of help, and we do things like that. You know, we sort of help, which is good. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Yesterday, and I don't know why I spot it. I wish I didn't. I'm 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 very clever at spotting people who th- perhaps I should have been a store detective. So I'm shopping in Marks and Spencers. There are other supermarkets available, but unfortunately that's the one I happen to shop in. And, um, and so, this bloke is walking around the shelves. He's looking at different things. And the more I look at him, the more I think, you're shoplifting. You're not a Marks and Spencers customer. You could tell if somebody's a Marks and Spencers customer. If somebody walks in there with a baseball cap on backwards, they're not going to be of the quality of a Marks and Spencers customer. It's as simple as that. They're going to be people from Lidl and Morrison's and stuff like that. No, you don't do Marks and Spencers. You wouldn't be allowed in there. The cameras would be moving to follow you and then as they home in on watching you slip stuff in your bag and stuff like that. Sorry? It's what? Look, you've got a loyalty card. Where'd you get that from? Hey, where'd you get that from? What, you gave your real name? And it didn't throw up on the screen? Anyway, this bloke. So there's, there's not many people in there. There's sort of me sort of wandering. And of course, when I'm strangely drawn to somebody who's shoplifting, I can't help it. I've watched women, smartly dressed women, but I think, you know, that's why they think they look like a Marks and Spencer's customer. And of course, they get away with it. They just pick stuff up and walk out. This one... He's walking round. I'm looking. He's got dirty trousers on, dirty shoes. He's a bit dishevelled. He's holding a newspaper. That's to cover the fact that he's thieving. And he just picks stuff up off the shelves, sticks it in his jacket under his arm, and then he walks around. Then he goes to the uh, the meat, and he picks up some meat things and all the rest of it. And he sees me looking at him, and he decides at that moment he's going to walk out the store. And he walks out. Nobody stops him. Nobody sees anything. They're as blind as bats in there. So I say to this woman who is teaching a young rookie about how the shelving system works and you do this and all the rest of it and all the rest of it. I say, excuse me, I said, there's a man shoplifting over there. Thank you, she says, and carries on talking to this rookie. She carries on at Marks and Spencers. That is the staff attitude at Marks and Spencers to shoplifting. Thank you. We're not doing anything about it. What's the point? That's why the prices are so high, because you're paying for all this. They couldn't care less. The main difference to her, she's not going to go and tackle anybody, is she? I'd have wrestled him to the ground. I'd have got some pensioners out there, dragged him to the ground, ripped. Because if he steals from there, he steals from loads of places. 
And it's it's just it's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But as I say, she wasn't remotely bothered. In fact, when I turned around, she was just carrying on chatting to this bloke again. <laughs> oh, that's intelligent, isn't it? <laughs> a man on the phone. Is he on the phone now? My God, what a dimbo. What a dimbo. I'll tell you, it's, it's amazing how stupid some people are. Somebody's phoned up to say he used to shoplift at Marks and Spencer's. My God, the thickos are out this morning. We haven't even got to five o'clock. We've discovered somebody who's obviously got uh, got uh, one or two brain cells missing, if indeed there was ever a brain cell in the first place. He got caught. Good. Is he in prison? Is he calling us from prison? Fantastic. I'd have shopped him. I'd have sat on him till the police arrived. Hate people like that. People who thieve, honestly. Whew, disgusting people. This is LBC with Steve Allen. There was this bizarre story that we had yesterday in the papers, which has resurfaced today, and it's the story of Richard Key's wife, who made a bit of an about-turn the other day. In fact, it was more than an about-turn. It was a complete denial. And uh, this was after uh, she believed that the footy pundit had a fling with their daughter's pal, and she, she branded him disgusting on Saturday. So now she's turned it all around. She said, no, I, I don't believe anything ever happened. Is she mad or something? What? I couldn't quite believe... I wasn't sure if she was an attention seeker or if I've sort of missed the point because it ran in a, in a, number, of, uh, a number of papers the other day and, and now they've actually taken it all back again. What she said on Saturday, what they did was disgusting. Uh, what she said on him yesterday, I'm reassured there's no affair. Julia Keyes insisted he'd not had a fling just 24 hours after announcing she was filing for divorce. Anyway, Keyes could have faced jail and being lashed... Oh, that's what... Ah, of course. Where he is in Qatar, they... You can be lashed because it's a strict Muslim country. And if you have sex outside of a marriage... I'm not saying this is the, this is the, the scenario. I'm just painting a picture for you. That if, if somebody has had sex outside of a marriage, you can go to prison. They're not messing around. So Julia said she'd been reassured after speaking with all the parties involved. Her statement was a remarkable about turn. I bet somebody pointed out, you know he can be lashed publicly. What? He can be lashed publicly for you saying this. I mean, it's a very odd about turn, isn't it, from Saturday through to Monday. Especially as it was splattered all over the papers on, uh, on Sunday. Very odd. Very odd. But uh, anyway, so she's now... Uh, wait a minute. Following the exchange of texts with the Sun, she spoke to a reporter at 2.55 yesterday, declined to comment over punishment that her husband might face in the Middle Eastern country. Neither Julia nor Keyes were contactable from that point until his lawyers, Carter Ruck, issued her statement declaring she was not seeking a divorce at 3.44. That was a bit fast. I mean, that is some turnaround, but I think somebody obviously pointed out the laws of the country. And I think you have to you have to be aware that they do do public floggings. They do do lash. They do it in public. It's not, you know, just pop round. We tap you on the back of the hand. Oh, no, no, no. Shirt off. Shirt off. Lash. Oh, God, yes, definitely. Uh, Kelvin McKenzie's column today. He said it's a shame that Richard Keyes won't face both jail and being whipped in the Islamic state of Qatar after his wife insisted he'd not committed adultery. I wonder, he says, if his former employers at Sky would have jumped at the chance and turned it into a pay-per-view episode. (laughs) Is he not popular or something? I'd like to find out, actually, whether people are popular in the business and apparently Richard Keyes doesn't exactly go... He was a bit sexist, we remember that, don't we? Yeah, I mean, also hairy arms. I mean, I think uh, during the course of the programme, you could practically knit a small prayer mat. 
Honestly, with this sort of, it would be hanging over the arms. You'd be thinking, it's like well, it's that sort of mile a minute Russian vine that grows. His the arm, the the arms in question, they'd be on the television, and then you'd see it creeping from under the shirt and over the hand. It was a bit like Chewbacca, a little bit Chewbacca. So you started off with a reasonably average-looking bloke who was sort of doing sport, and the next minute he morphs into Chewbacca sitting on the television. I used to find it mildly amusing, but there again, I find most things mildly amusing, especially when it involves somebody being whipped and smashed about and sort of thrown in prison for doing something that the wife has now said, no, 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 I accept the fact it didn't happen. Well, perhaps there should be an investigation. (laughs) Let's find out whether it happened or whether it didn't happen. Steve Allen on LBC. Smoking could prevent dementia because Darren smokes... And then somebody phoned up and said, oh, Steve Allen doesn't smoke. I've not smoked for donkey's years. Probably about, I don't know, 15 years. Has Darren, has he stopped? Oh, he's going to be so bad-tempered. Oh, we're going to suffer with that one. As all the tar falls off his chest and it's... Because they always say, don't they? You know, within a few hours you should be feeling better. I gave up two years and I went back on him again. Twice as bad. And now I'd, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't smoke one at all. It's a, put it this way, it's bad for your skin. It's bad for your health. You're going to get... Um, you know, all sorts of problems in your body. You go to hospitals, you can see people dying from cancer brought on by cigarettes. I don't want to preach to you. That would be stupid. That would be really ridiculous for me to start preaching when I am one of those guys. I am somebody who used to smoke, so I couldn't... If people want to smoke, I would say smoke. It's very addictive, but you don't get any dementia. They've actually said, if, if you smoke, you don't get dementia. The fact you die horribly screaming of lung cancer and emphysema and everything else has got nothing to do with it. At least you don't get the dementia. <laughs> What's that? Are they trying to encourage people to smoke? I, I like the people who vaporise. Have you seen those ones? You get clouds of smoke out of that. But I'm sure that's going to be proven in years to come. That's not very good for you either. I know we, we didn't do vaporising. But there are some suggestions, weren't there, about it. A lot of people telling me that they're trying to give up smoking at the moment. There's no easy way to do it. You can either do the, um, the famous hypnosis... You can do the one where they say, smoke as many as you like, and then eventually you'll hate the, the taste of cigarettes. Well, you don't, because if you like smoking, you love smoking. You've got to want to stop smoking. The only, the only thing that would stop you smoking is if somebody said to you, if you don't stop, you're going to be dead in a month. That would be the only thing, if a doctor said that to you, that would probably stop, unless you're really, really bad into it, and you're going, what the hell? Because now we're into Stoptober, aren't we? They've now decided to hijack that one, and they say, why don't you stop drinking? For a month. Why don't you mind your own business? I hate these. I mean, who does that come from? Does it come from the NHS or something like that? Oh, dear, honestly, we're such a mamby-pamby country. We can't think for ourselves. We know drinking's bad and excess. We know eating, you know, Chinese food is bad. And we know eating Kentucky Fried Chicken is bad. Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation. You can have little bits of this, little bits of that. But it's all this pampering, isn't it, that's going on. Oh, do you know how to eat? Do you know how not to eat? What are you supposed to be eating? What are you not supposed to be eating? You know, should I have a white bread sandwich or a brown bread sandwich? Should I have this? Oh, go away, for goodness sake. It drives me mad. Absolutely drives me mad. Somebody says, I bought a, a vapour... Five weeks ago, and haven't touched a fag since. And uh, Mike says, I gave up ciggies for vaping four years ago. Never looked back. It's by far the best way to give up. But and I think they're going to find something in years to come. There's going to be something. You can just know, don't you? Because I've lost track of the amount of stories over the years uh, where they've said, oh, you, you, you know, so butter's very good for you. Next thing, butter's really bad for you. So we go through that. I mean, margarine, and we have to use this because it's the Mediterranean diet. And then that turns out to be a load of old hooey as well. So we go back to butter. It's like if you're diabetic, I explained before, that on the first Christmas, I said, well, what can I have? And they said, um, well, you can have normally what you'd have. 
just, you know, just cut down a little bit on it and sort of try not to have puddings and stuff like that. So there are certain things that I would avoid, certain things that I wouldn't have at all. And that would be, I mean, I wouldn't eat eaten mess because that's full of meringue and meringue is sugar. So I wouldn't have that. I can have cereal without sugar. I don't have sugar in uh, tea or coffee or anything like that. I don't drink orange juice anymore. I can't have grapefruit juice because of the medication. And uh, I wouldn't drink lemonade. I haven't had a lemonade for best part of 15 years now. So I wouldn't have things like that. I wouldn't have um, fried food very often. I'd have it occasionally, but not particularly. And yet I'm the tip of the iceberg. I'm one of those people who could effectively bankrupt the NHS because they say that there's more and more diabetics because there's more and more of this cheap rubbish food that's on sale everywhere. Look around Leicester Square. You cannot move for fast food places. You could get, I mean, you used to be able to get Chinese takeaway where you sort of go six ninety nine. you can fill your boots with, you know, some cheap old prawns or whatever it happens to be. And that went. And, uh, and then there's other places. You buy a slice of pizza. Well, pizza's really bad for you. Whichever way you look at it, pizza is not good. Not good. On the subject of smoking, Steve, I gave up smoking, says Rod, when cigarettes went up seven and sixpence for 20 in the budget in the early 80s. I wouldn't... Um, it's funny, actually. Somebody said to me, oh, you'd give up smoking now, Steve, if they were 20 quid a packet. I said, of course I wouldn't. If I was really smoking now, I couldn't care less if they made them 50p a packet. F- 50, 50p, that'd be a miracle, wouldn't it? £50 a packet. I said, I'd still smoke them because I was addicted. I accepted the fact that I was completely addicted to cigarettes. I couldn't wake up in the morning without having at least 10 before I left for work. And then, and sometimes, in fact, if it was the... If you could stop having the first cigarette in the morning, you discover that you can go a long way through the day because that first one triggers the second one, which triggers the third, the fourth, the fifth, and so it goes on. So when I used to wake up, I'd make myself a cup of coffee. Uh, I couldn't taste food because you can't taste food when you've had, uh, when you've had cigarettes. And, um, and I'd have my first cigarette, and then I think... And, and literally, I was chain-smoking. I could, I could get through 60 cigarettes a day. How my heart and lungs are still with me, I've got no idea. But I, I could get through loads. So weaning myself off was, was a bit more difficult, but no more difficult than anybody else. I did manage to do it uh, because I got angina. And well, in fact, that was the title of my last tour, Steve Allen, The Angina Monologues, which we thought was played a bit on. I didn't come up with the title. A friend of mine came up with that. I thought, that's quite good, actually. That's very good. And so we went out and we talked about smoking and we talked about how, how difficult it is to give up. If you want to smoke, I mean, I, I could literally... If, if I was smoking now, I reckon I could find somewhere to smoke out of a window or something like that in between the news bulletin. Seriously, if I was on a music station, it'd be a lot easier, but it's not if you're on a speech station. Giving up smoking is not easy at all. Noreen says, I was a 60 a day smoker. Good Lord. In about 1986, I was at work and we had the budget on the radio. They were putting ciggies up a lot. I sat and worked out. I was going to be spending a quarter of my salary on them. Gave up. Just like that, as Tommy Cooper used to say. And now I'm the worst anti-smoker ever. You see, the funny thing is, I'm not. I'm, actually, I'm not an anti-smoker. I always, if, if people smoke, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I've got friends of mine who smoke. Uh, not many of them. And you still see people standing outside buildings. But I, I didn't become sanctimonious. I did know a, a presenter years ago. And he was vehemently anti-smoking. Vehemently so. And he used to be a smoker. And I've always maintained, listen, I know how addictive it is. If somebody wants... Admittedly, going into restaurants where somebody is not smoking is actually quite pleasant. 
But I did used to sit in restaurants with cigarettes on. And I remember sitting in Joe Allen's once and they went up to certain tables. And after that, it was non-smoking. And this woman came and sat down. And I lit a cigarette up and she called the waiter over and said, excuse me, is, is this smoking here? And they went, yes. And the Americans were more vehemently anti-smoking than we were. And so, consequently, as we're supposed to be giving things up in this month of October, and we're racing through it, we're up to the 3rd of October already. And it seems like yesterday, doesn't it? We were sort of talking about Easter, and, and people saying, oh, gosh, Easter, that'll be nice, won't it? We go, yeah, we've had some bank holidays. And here we are, heading now into the cold time of year. It'll be October, November, Christmas. After Christmas, what do we have? January sales. But, of course, the good thing in this country is we have the January sales beginning of Christmas. Because they're always moaning about, oh, people aren't spending as much. So 60 a day for, for Noreen. Steve Allen on LBC. Strictly Bruno in Quit Shocker. A bit difficult to tell when Bruno Tonioli is having one of his queenie fits. You know, because he stands up and shouts most of the time. Uh, and this time he's very upset. Uh, he stormed out of the studio. It must have been hilarious to watch. Uh, saying that uh, Anastasia and this and all the rest, it's all a bit sort of dreadful. And uh, he said he was disgusted. But as I say, you're not really sure with him what, what's actually acting and what's Memorex, because he stands up and stamps his feet on numerous occasions, and you feel like saying, oh, sit down, you silly little person. Just sit down, you don't need to go into this. And if he quits, oh, God, that might leave the door open for Tony Beak, mightn't it? And we don't want that at any cost. God, I'd rather they stopped the programme than Tony Beak had any action in it. Thank you very much indeed. Or, for, or even worse... Ola Jordan comes back. Ooh, well, we don't want that, do we? Leading Britain's conversation. LBC with Steve Allen. I love this story to pieces. His name was uh, Douglas Shulcross, a D-Day veteran. He survived a grenade blast, a bullet wound in the head and twice being hit by American tanks. He died last month, age 92. The widower's daughter put out an appeal after fearing only five family members would be at his funeral to salute him and say goodbye. On Tuesday, they were left speechless as hundreds of former soldiers, airmen and sailors, as well as local residents, descended on Highfield Cemetery in Romilly in Greater Manchester to pay their respects. And his daughter, Anne Holloway, uh, yesterday said, I'm incredibly touched, it was love. I mean, isn't that just the best thing you've ever read? Isn't that the best thing you've ever heard? You know, you, as I said earlier on, you wanted to tap on the top of his coffin and go, you got a bloody good send-off, mate, you really did. She said, it was amazing that so many people would come out to say goodbye. One lady, Catherine O'Brien, came to the ceremony with her husband, Sean, after reading about the appeal. She said, he fought for us. We thought he can't just be buried alone. It's only a couple of hours out of the day. It's not a big deal. Simon Walker served in Northern Ireland, Bosnia, Gibraltar and Canada. Said he had to join the other mourners. The former corporal said, just one word says it all, respect. Respect for what he and so many of his generation have done. And uh, the household cavalry veteran, Andy Cook, who helped organise the campaign, said he was amazed by the turnout. He said, there's no veteran that should go without people paying their respects. I would like to thank every person who attended. Fantastic. And there's all sorts of people, bikers in their leather jackets, all there for one person. Makes you want to cry. Makes you want to cry. He got the send-off. You got that send-off, Douglas. People came out to say, uh, to say thank you to you. Isn't that amazing? I just oh, love stuff like that. Honestly, I could weep during this programme sometimes. Steve Allen on LBC. 82 days. Santa checks the time. So it's two months, 11 weeks and 117,000 minutes. 83 days. Uh, what's that? 1,952 hours and 7 million 
and 25,040 seconds. 81 sleeps. Oh, God. My friend Ian will be going apoplectic with this one. What's this site called? What's this one called? Emailsanta.com. It's got everything on there. Get Santa's autograph. What do you think he signs? You can track Santa Claus. Here he is in his, in his house. He's just walked into his office. He's got a bag full of toys. And they say, maybe there's a present for you in there. There, blooming well better be, I'm telling you. Otherwise, I'll be writing to the old man with the white beard. What's the, the one about... Um, where, where's Santa's autograph? He's on webcam as well. There you are. Get Santa's autograph on the left-hand side. Underneath, send your pet's email to Rudolph. Does he sign it Father Christmas? Oh, and then you get a photo... And he'll personally sign... Isn't that cute? Don't you think that's fantastic? I love stuff like that, I tell you. God. I, bu- I did buy yesterday, just to really add insult to injury, I bought my Christmas card yesterday. I bought a box of Christmas cards, handmade Christmas cards, which I absolutely adore. So I've got those, and, uh, and it's good. Ian says, uh, according to, uh, to Red Cups Are Coming website, 30 days till they hit Starbucks. You know, they do their, their Red Cups for, for Christmas. I don't, are you going home for Christmas, Australian boy? Are you going home for Christmas or are you staying here? Are you, st- are you staying in this country? Yeah, OK. Is it going to be a white Christmas? Could be if you play your cards right, yeah. Don't you think so? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends how cold it gets in the North Pole. I've often worried about that North Pole, ladies and gentlemen. I really have. But do you, do you, do you like seeing snow? Do you think it's pretty? Yeah, you love it. You don't get it in Australia, do you? Or do you? Do you get snow? Certain parts... Ayers Rock or something like that. No, Ayers Rock, you wouldn't get it. But you do get snow in Australia. I love it. I love seeing it. There'll always be pictures in the, in the papers over, over Christmas with a village deep in the Cotswolds where the whole thing is just covered in a blanket of snow, and I think that's beautiful. I love stuff like that. That's that, that, sort of, that, that, for me, is sort of Christmas. I like it. It doesn't matter whether or not there's a... You know, I do like Christmas cards, which have got choirs on the front singing in a marketplace or something like that. And uh, Carol says, uh, December the 1st is the first day of Christmas, and my trees are lit and look lovely. All white lights. You see, I'm doing coloured lights. Oh, that's it. That's pretty. Isn't that pretty? Look at that. Beautiful Cotswold countryside. And all these places exist. Once they've got the dusting of snow on them, it's like, oh. When we lived in a little village in Yorkshire, it was lovely. When it snowed, I mean, you could crunch. Look at that little village there. That's so pretty. So, so pretty. And you would crunch through, through the snow in, in your Wellingtons. Looks absolutely lovely. Some of these other pictures are uh, done by an artist called... I can't remember what his name is. He does pictures with lights. They used to sell them uh, on... Wait a minute. Oh, that's Gordon Lees, is it? There's another guy who does pictures with lights, and I can't remember what his name is. He's very famous. They always flog his pictures all over the place. And I've got one with little lights in it. I think it's pictures with lights. Of course, you're probably going to get something completely different now. You type in pictures with lights, but that's what he was, and that's what oh, <laughs> pictures with blooming lights in. <laughs> uh, pictures with lights painting. No, that's even what. Oh heavens, why we don't want that? That looked very rude. That one there. There was a woman half naked, playing with lights. That dreadful. I don't like that kind of thing. It frightens me. We don't want that sort of thing on a Tuesday morning. No, pictures. What was his blooming name? Come on, somebody will know. Somebody will know. Who's the man who painted? And they were called Pictures with, with Lights. Thank you. My friend Jonathan Levi knows. The man who paints Pictures with Lights is Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid with a K. Thank you, Jonathan. Thomas Kincaid. And they're very famous pictures. He doesn't... Uh, he, I'm not even sure he's still alive. Anyway, he didn't... Um, he would sell copies of them 
all those sort of pictures, all sort of just typical traditional scenes. I've got the one with the car, which has got lights set in it, little fibre optic lights. Really pretty, actually. Everybody else thinks it's naff, apart from me. I'm the only one that thinks it looks gorgeous. And, uh, and it's got sort of snowy pictures. They're very pretty, aren't they? The Americans do much better lights on houses than we do. But I, I want to go to some of these places. I want to wave my magic wand and, and go and sit in a picture full of lights because I, I think it's festive and I think it's Christmassy. I don't think we'd spend... It's over so quickly, Christmas. So we're going to have the, uh, the red cups. That'll be nice. We like the old red cups once we get things like that. So Thomas Kincaid is the man who paints the pictures with lights. This is LBC with Steve Allen. I did promise, actually, the Australian one, a little bit of bling this morning. Little, little bit of bling? <laughs> that's that's my, my bling watch. You like it? You like it? Look, it sort of catches... It, such a chav! A, a chav? I bought this for, for the live shows, actually, because I thought it sort of, it sort of shows people... My, you've, got to, you've got to see it, haven't you? He cannot resist. You see? He calls it chav, but at the same time, his little eyes light up. <laughs> it's nice though, isn't it? Do you like it? That is, is incredible. It, is it, is it incredible. No, it's plastic. Ah. What? It doesn't like it now, it's plastic. But from a distance, it looks like real diamonds. I've got to take it in to get the battery changed. But it, it does look very blingy, doesn't it? It's, it's a very, very blingy watch. What did he say? He said, he's, he's de- the trouble is, have you heard him speak? They'll have to put translators on and everything else, and it's just not going to happen, is it? Anyway, I'll leave it there. I've marked it. It's been marked, security-wise. This is LBC with Steve Allen. So this morning's taxi. Here we go, the taxi saga. Every morning, you know, I get notification. Terribly, and I'll tell you exactly what it says. Wait a minute, I'll tell you exactly what this one says. This was for this morning, so I get a bit excited. Um... And it's uh, it says here. Wait a minute, because you can't you can't send a text back to them again. And it says, uh, unfortunately, this was sent today at six minutes past two. Okay, unfortunately, we have no eco vehicles available at the moment. We sent a Ford Galaxy instead. We hope you understand. Okay, and that was it. Nothing. Normally, you then get a thing. Track your car here. Didn't get that. Didn't get that at all. Really didn't get it. And. Um, and so I was, in fact, actually, the next one I got was about three o'clock this morning because somebody, a car pulled up. Well, I'm not getting into a car that I've got no idea who it is. I'm looking for a number plate. I'm looking for, you know, a reg of whatever it happens to be, you know, YGD or something. I want to know what it is. I'm not getting into a car. It could be anybody. Somebody could have nicked a car, turned up. They know it's a regular booking. Could have been easy. I'm not getting in it. And I told him I wasn't getting in it as well. You know, I said, listen, I don't have the notification. He said, but I'm your car. I said, I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. I'm not getting in a car that I don't know anything about. That would be stupid. That would be really risky in this day and age, wouldn't it? So uh, I didn't get in it. And so he then sort of shows me his phone with the book. I couldn't care less. I said, I haven't got that notification. Perhaps you don't have any, um, any sort of Wi-Fi. I said, I'm on 4G. Of course I've got it. I get it every day for the past God knows how long. I'll tell you, one disaster after another, this company. It can't be that difficult, surely, to get a cab to turn up. But anyway, so I refused to get... I said, listen, and I only can do this if I don't have any interviews. I said, I can drive in. Doesn't bother me. I'm not particularly bothered. In the end, I get the car out, and he has to move his car so I can get out. And, and so he watches me go out. It's as simple as that. I thought, I can't sit here any longer. I've got a blooming show to do. You know, and, um, and so uh, the next thing is, at three o'clock... 
I then get a thing saying, your driver has arrived and is waiting outside for you. Well, sod off. I don't think so. So I, I wrote a thing back, but of course you can't deliver it to them. So you're stuck with it. So he sits there, having watched me drive off at half past two. Where do they get them from? Dear God in heaven, but if you think I'm getting in a taxi at four in at 2.30 in the morning, or whatever time it happens to be, uh, without knowing which one I'm getting into, no chance. No chance in this day and age. That would be, that would be like saying to some woman standing by the side of the road, oh, just get in that car, you'll be all right with him. I don't think so. That's the whole idea. It's supposed to be there for safety and for, for your sort of security. No, 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 no. We don't do anything like that in this day and age. Can't manage that bit. We don't bother with it. Simple as that. So I drove in. Somebody says, I missed your show yesterday. Did the cab guy not have a company ID on him to show you? I couldn't care less. He, I really couldn't care less. That's not the issue. The issue, I mean, put it this way. All right, put yourself in a hypothetical situation. Somebody, you know, gets that cab into the side of the road. They knock the driver out and they just put his badge on and that. Who knows? You don't know. The only, the only way I know that that's my driver is because I get the notification on, on text. So that's it. That's how it works. And, uh, and if I don't get that, I'm not getting in the car. Steve Allen on LBC. On the programme today, I'll be telling you about uh, the show, the show, the eagerly anticipated show of Steve Allen. We did these, I forget how many years ago we did them. I think the first one we did was in 2007, which uh, shows how long ago it was. And uh, it, it stems from an idea which came from Nick Ferrari. And the idea was that, you know, because LBC's audience is so loyal, uh, we would take it out on the road. And so Nick went out on the road and, uh, and did his shows. And I didn't think anything about it, actually. And my boss at the time said, he said, have you thought of, of taking, you know, your show out on the road? You're, you're fairly popular. I thought, well, OK. And, um, and so we then had a, a company who put these shows on. And, um, and so the first one went on sale. Now, I can't remember. People who've been to them will have to tell you whether or not it's the right one. I think Radlett was the first one. It might not have been the first show we did. So we, we do these shows. And the first show that we put on sale uh, was only a small theatre. I think it only held, I think, about 300 out at Radlett. I'm pretty certain. Anyway, um, so I'm out for lunch with, uh, with the mother of my godchildren. And so she said, um, oh, right, so you're doing this show? I said, yeah. She said, right, when does it go on sale? I said, I think it's gone on sale today. And I'd mentioned it on the programme. And then we came out of this pub. I mean, we'd, we'd had a pub lunch. We came out of the pub and my phone rang and it was the man who was promoting it. And he said, oh, hi, Steve. It's so-and-so. I said, oh, hi. He said, uh, the, the show that you've done, he said, which you haven't done yet, he said, it's just sold out. I said, sold out? He said, yeah. I thought, blimey, that's a bit exciting. I was quite, I was quite, I, said, I was a bit taken aback. Because you would be, wouldn't you, when you've, you've, you've booked a show. We didn't have a show. We sort of did it on spec and on ad hoc, and it kind of it, it sort of worked for us. It was the kind of thing that you would expect if you were a listener to the programme. And so uh, I went, OK, fine. And so it had sold out in about four hours, which I thought was a record, until we got to the Queen's Theatre in Hornchurch, where I think we sold out in 30 minutes. Literally, the phones were... Ri I know it sounds ridiculous. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why, please. But the, the phones were ringing off the hook. Uh, Jan at the theatre said it's the fastest selling show that they've ever had. People were queuing at the box office. People were queuing at the box office. And we had it the same at all the other theatres. We sold out really fast because the LBC audience is very loyal and it's, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a rite of passage. 
And so we did probably all in all about 10 of these shows. And, uh, and it was great. We did uh, Fairfield Halls in Croydon twice. Uh, we did, gosh, we, we did the Queen's Theatre probably about three times. And we did Radlett. We had to do that twice. Because that's right, because it was only a 300-seater. And most of our theatres were 600-seaters. So we sort of rested it. Uh, we, we sold merchandise, we had badges, and we sold... Uh, we had a programme, and we sold mugs and everything else. Never to be seen again. In fact, I, I found one. I, that's the reason I remember 2007, is because the mug had Steve Allen, the Bitches Back Tour. And we had, we had boxes and boxes of these made up. And there aren't any left now. I've got one. The rest will probably be sort of listening to this programme right now. So anyway, so when Make Some Noise came up last year and they said, you know, what do you want to do next year? Well, I mean, I can't think beyond Tuesday. And so I sort of, uh, I said, well, I don't, why don't we do a, a one-man show again? And they went, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So, of course, trying to find a theatre is a bit difficult. So, to cut a long story short, they came back to me about four weeks ago and they said, uh, you're still on for it? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, if it makes some money for charity, that's all I care about. Uh, they said, we found a theatre. I thought, oh, good, London Palladium. You know, I was thinking curtains, dancing girls, you know, the elephants, the zebras and the, the lions leaping across me. And, and then they said, no, 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 it's the Hippodrome. I said, what, just over here? And they went, yes. Now, it's got a beautiful theatre. Loads of people have played it. Loads of famous people have played it. And, and it's really lovely. So it only holds 220 people. So it's, it's what they call intimate. It's very intimate. Uh, if you want to come along, it's the 12th. Uh, all the money that we raise from the night goes to Globals Make Some Noise. It's an LBC charity, which you know, which helps children and young people suffering from illness or disability across the UK. And you can do your bit. You can do your bit and, uh, and buy a ticket and come along. So all you have to do is just... Go By the way, uh, because it's, uh, it's a casino, you have to be over 18... OK, you have to be over 18. If you're particularly lucky and you look under 18, you'll need to bring some photo ID. OK, but I believe they are going to run out the red carpet for this one. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, it'll start at uh, seven o'clock and we'll spend, you know, an hour and a bit in, a, in each other's company. And uh, we'll have a nice time. So if you want to come along, go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, and there are details on there of how you can uh, come and join us on the night. But as I say, there are only 220 seats, and I know that, because uh, this apparently, a few of you had worked out where it was, and you decided to be very clever, and they put it up on the LBC website yesterday. So we've already sold uh, a number of seats already. So if you want to be part of the gang, and I'd love you to be part of the gang, uh, go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Steve Allen on LBC. We've done quite well, actually. We've sold out the uh, the Hippodrome. All I've got left at the Hippodrome... The boss has now fallen off his chair, I should imagine. Uh, all I've got left is booths. These seat five... They're like boxes. Uh, they seat five people, and they're at £750. I know, before you fall backwards. Remember, it's got five people, and I think they come... Now, I, I don't, don't swear to this one, but I'm pretty certain they said to me yesterday, these come with booze. The, not really an incentive to come and watch Steve Allen, is it, on stage? But uh, but it, it could help, actually. You'll need to check if you if you book those. And I think there are four booths there. Each one seats five people, and I'm I'm pretty certain I'm I'm pretty pretty certain that they uh, they come with with booze on there. So 
So £150 each it works out at, and it does go to charity. It's not, uh, you know, I wish I could say it was going into my pocket, but uh, my pockets are not that deep, and mainly they've got holes in them, so it has to go to make some noise. So all the money goes. So that's all we've got. The standard stalls in the balcony, all sold out. So that's gone. So just the booth seats. And I think, I think there are four. I'm not, I wouldn't swear to it. You'll need to check with them. And they seat five people, so there's an extra uh, 20 seats going there. But they're £750, but I'm pretty certain it comes with booze and canapes or something like that. I'm pre- I'm, I don't made it. I might, might have made the canapes bit up, but I'm pretty certain it comes with some, some booze. If it doesn't, I'll buy you a bottle of Prosecco. Mind you, a bottle of Prosecco between five. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it, really? Quite ridiculous. But, um, so... You might uh, take a down the blues and the sauce. And I'm going to share with others. Yeah, you lot, you lot are good at sharing. You, you don't mind things like that. You're very, very good. So let's let's keep fingers crossed that by uh, the end of uh, the day, we'll have sold out the uh, the little boxes as well. It's a it's super little theatre. Honestly, you won't you won't be disappointed. Jamie sent me in a thing telling me about the fact it was a Matcham theatre. In fact, when, if you go in, you'll be going in a different entrance, a different entrance. And if you if you go in the main entrance, the where they've got their restaurant in the Hippodrome, it's built onto the seating. You can you walk underneath Frank Matcham's seating, all the metal seating on the cantilevers. It's all there. And when you look up in the Hippodrome, as you know, because I've taken you on a trip round it before, uh, you'll see a little balcony at the top. They used to flood the Hippodrome. They could flood it with water in, you know, in a matter of minutes. And people would dive off the top. They used to have Red Indians in canoes. And elephants were trained to come in off the top. If you're listening to this, incidentally, on The Best Of, and it's Saturday morning, we were just getting a little bit excited about the fact that that the show is sold out apart from the boxes, but the boxes might have sold out as well by the time we get to Saturday. I don't know that bit. Unfortunately, I'm not gifted in the art of uh, trying to pre-guess things. All I know is that there's no seats left apart from the boxes. It's all all gone. So, sorry if you can't, uh, aren't make it. But uh, perhaps you, you could save up, actually. It could be a big treat for somebody, couldn't it? A box. And uh, we have raised loads of money for fantastic causes. That's very good. Very pleased about that. Let's say the boss still sitting on the floor going, oh, my God, Steve, perhaps we should have done the London Palladium. <laughs> but it does give young people a voice when they don't have one. And that's what affects people nowadays. So you've done your bit. So well done. I just have to do my bit on the 12th of December. Which actually shouldn't take too long. I, I, I can do it quite well, I think. I think after years of doing this programme, and with 40 years of venom saved up, I mean, I should imagine we're in for a, a pretty nice evening, don't you? And it's with my friend Alid Jones. He'll be delighted it's sold out so quickly. Not as quick as we've sold out before, but uh, it's also because we're on, you know, a bit early in the morning. People are going, is it show? Where, where, where's it? 12th? Oh, that bit's sold out. All oh, right, just the box is available. So if you're fortunate enough to have uh, money like that, well, then... Uh, Perhaps you can, you can push it my way. Plus, of course, we've got all that big bundle of home entertainment gadgets, thanks to Media Powerhouse. Uh, we've got, in this bundle, in this, but this all comes as one package, incidentally, uh, a Samsung TV, 49-inch, iPad mini, home cinema projector, Apple TV, GoPro camera. And to win that fabulous bundle of tech and support our charity, you text the word tech... It's not that difficult. T-E-C-H. And you send it to 84850. A voluntary donation of just £3 from every text goes straight to our charity, helping to change young lives. So it's tech. T-E-C-H. 
and you send it to 84850. Standard network rate supply. You need to be 18 or over. You've got until 11pm on the 9th of October to enter. You're playing across all participating radio stations, which can be found alongside the T's and C's at lbc.co.uk. So text tech, T-E-C-H, and send it to 84850. If you want to donate, you can. You can text LBC10. That's LBC10, without a space, to 70070. Standard network charges may apply if you're under 16. Please ask the bill payers' permission first. And for all the T's and C's, go to lbc.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed. See how much we can raise today. Those are all the highlights I've got time for for this morning. And don't forget, I'm here from 5 tomorrow morning, and I'm here with your 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.